0: Snark production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Friday the 14th of May. Well done, you have made it to the end of the week. Hello, <laughs> Katrina.
1: <laughs> Hello, and well done to you and everyone else out there who has made it through Budget Week.
0: <laughs> yes, we've survived another budget. It's sort of interesting and it's sort of boring. <laughs> I think that could describe every budget though. Yeah. Um, so on today's briefing a really interesting one this time last year tens of thousands of homeless people were being taken off the streets and given hotel rooms and it was to keep them safe from COVID.
1: At the time there was so much hope that this could in fact be that circuit breaker we've been waiting for to end homelessness.
2: It was quite remarkable about how government kicked in and shows what government can do if it really wants to.
0: So on today's briefing, a year on, did we take the opportunity to solve homelessness? That's coming up in just a moment. First, here are the big news stories of the day.
1: Labor leader Anthony Albanese has given his budget reply speech promising his party is going to spend billions of dollars on social housing if he wins the next election.
3: Labor in government will create a $10 billion Housing Australia future fund with the annual investment return to build social and affordable housing and create thousands of jobs.
0: Yeah, so that announcement ties in with our briefing topic on homelessness because affordable housing is a key to long-term solutions for homelessness.
1: That's right. And affordable housing and social housing was, in fact, what the government was criticised for missing out on in, in their budget this year. Uh, so Albanese made that promise the centrepiece of his budget reply speech. He also tied it into his own background. Um, he grew up in a, in a single parent family and said it had a real um, personal resonance for him.
0: Yeah. And he also said that the government wasn't doing enough to help younger Australians, which was interesting, saying that it was basically a political budget where they're only trying to hang on to power.
3: The budget handed down on Tuesday night is not a plan for the next generation. It is a patch-up job for the next election.
1: So he also used that budget reply speech to make other promises, such as creating incentives for around 10,000 apprentices to be hired in renewable energy jobs.
0: Yeah, and he also promised to do more on climate change, which I I don't think would surprise too many people. That's sort of where Labor tend to land. Uh, He also talked about recognising first Australians in the Constitution, um, but that's also something the Coalition are talking about as well.
1: Which is fantastic that we're having those conversations now, but light on detail, which I guess both sides of politics have been criticised for. With an election coming up, I guess they don't want to give the game away. Albanese saying he'll be releasing full costings and more promises as we move into that exciting era. Can hardly wait.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I did read some good commentary from David Rowe. He said either Albanese was keeping his powder dry last night or he doesn't have any.
1: (laughs) We shall soon find out which of those it is.
0: And the crisis in the Middle East is escalating. With genuine fears, Israel is about to launch a land invasion of Gaza after deploying troops along its border with the territory.
1: Yeah, there have been simmering tensions in that region for months now. The death toll is now estimated to be over 90, many of those children.
0: And there are no signs the violence is going to ease either. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said he won't allow Palestinians to keep firing rockets at Israeli cities. This is something we cannot accept
1: it's anarchy. And also the Palestinian territory of Gaza has continued to be hit by Israeli airstrikes, and the Palestinian president Mahmoud Abbas says they won't be backing down any time soon.
3: I address my words specifically to America and to Israel. Enough is enough.
0: Leave us alone. We will remain like a thorn in your eyes. Yeah, it was interesting to see Joe Biden, the American president's response to this conflict. He was very careful not to criticize Israel. He did say he hopes the violence ends sooner than later, but Israel has a right to defend itself.
1: A lot of people are now saying that um, we need to step in internationally and it's because there's been such a lack of an international response to simmering tensions in this region that it's got to where it has now. Uh, Boris Johnson has also weighed in. He's been much more diplomatic, though. He's calling on both sides to step back from the brink.
0: Federal Minister Linda Reynolds is assisting police with their investigation into the alleged rape of her former staffer, Brittany Higgins.
3: I'm very limited now on what I can say because I am assisting the AFP with their investigation into, into that matter.
1: So that's Reynolds revealing the news on Nine last night as she returned from sick leave, saying she's also provided a statement to police.
0: Yeah, and in other news around sexual assault allegations and the Liberal Party, another male Coalition MP has been forced to stand aside after it was revealed police are investigating him for sexual assault allegations.
1: Yeah, this broke late yesterday and he was named shortly after. Uh, So the New South Wales Family and Community Services Minister, Gareth Ward, identified himself as that MP, subject to the allegations from 2013.
0: Yeah, in that statement, uh, Mr. Ward denied any wrongdoing, but he stood aside from the ministry and has also stepped onto the crossbench. Now, this follows accusations uh, against the federal MP, Christian Porter, but also another New South Wales state MP, Michael Johnson. Both of those men have denied any wrongdoing.
1: And leading doctors say the Moderna vaccine, which Australia has just signed the deal for, will be able to serve as a booster shot to protect us all from COVID variants. A
2: particular benefit of Moderna coming largely later in the year or next year is that it will give us the ability to... Have a new vaccine that potentially covers some of the variants.
0: That's Dr Omar Korshid from the Australian Medical Association.
1: The federal government yesterday confirmed that US pharma giant Moderna will provide Australia with 25 million doses of that vaccine. I think we get 10 million this year, 15 million next year. Has to be approved first though, Tom.
0: Yeah, and they might actually be able to produce it here in the future, which is a, a very big advantage as well. Um, it uses the same mRNA technology as Pfizer.
1: Yeah, and the other thing um, I was hearing health officials talking about yesterday, which I hadn't heard mentioned before, is that they're saying that we might be able to mix and match our vaccines so we can mm-hmm. potentially get our first dose with Moderna and our second dose with AstraZeneca. And perhaps because it's coming from different places, it could even cover us against more variants in the future. How would you feel about taking a cocktail of vaccines, Tom? (laughs) Well, I'd want
0: more clarity, to be honest. Like, that sounds like a bit of a mess, and I think that would confuse people.
1: It also doesn't sound like it's had enough time to be tested yet.
0: Mm, Yeah. And, you know, when when confidence is key and we run into problems sort of further down the line of vaccine hesitancy when we're trying to get over the the sort of 70 or 80% um, immunity figure, um, those issues are crucial. And will the mice take the bait? New South Wales farmers will get access to unlimited free mouse poison uh, from the state government as they try and fight the plague in western New South Wales.
1: Yeah, This measure is part of a $50 million support package to fight a huge surge in mice. Uh, This was announced by the state government yesterday.
0: Yeah, and it comes after a big campaign last week where farmers came down and just showed how bad it was. Like the, the footage, as we've discussed on the briefing, is hectic. So it will be really interesting to see if this poison does the job. Also, I guess, closely watching whether it has any other nasty side effects.
1: Yeah, indeed. It's not just about grain. It's about mental health. These mice are getting into people's homes and biting people. It would just be just awful to live with.
0: All right. In just a moment, the fight to solve homelessness.
1: In this briefing, have we missed a golden opportunity to end homelessness?
0: Yeah, wonderful hotel room, nice beautiful bed, three meals a day they're giving us at the moment. So that's a homeless guy called James that I spoke to around about this time last year on the project. And we were standing outside the Holiday Inn in King's Cross and he'd just been given a hotel room to stay in Mm. for what was initially four weeks, but it went on for longer. And the idea was that he would be safe from COVID. And this was right as we were going into that lockdown period. It's just great to be able to actually
1: pulled out of that spiral at the moment. So it has given me a positive, positive attitude and is actually trying to um, look for somewhere, you know, get back, get back into the
0: workforce, things like that, you know. So as you can hear, there's hope in his voice there, yeah. Katrina. Um, you know, hope that this would be the moment that could turn his life around. And, you know, the great thing was at that time, James was just one of 33,000 people who were given uh, emergency COVID accommodation right around the country.
1: It was so amazing to watch. Thousands of people just taken off the streets Mm. or from couch surfing situations and put in really nice hotels. It was a beautiful moment in time.
0: Yeah, so people in the sector were hoping this would be the circuit breaker that could actually end homelessness, which is something we've been trying to do for decades Normally in Australia, around 8,000 people are sleeping rough at any one time and another 100,000 or or more are are either couch surfing or sleeping in homeless shelters.
1: So we are asking the question today, did we seize that opportunity and how many of those people have been thrown out of their hotel rooms since and are back out onto the streets? We're going to go to New South Wales and Victoria and see if we have missed that moment or made good on the battle against homelessness.
0: We're joined by Paul MacDonald, who's the CEO of Anglicare Victoria, and also Catherine McKernan, CEO of Homelessness New South Wales. Um, Catherine, to you first, we were just talking about the homelessness situation in Sydney there Tell us about those few weeks where homeless people were suddenly being put into hotels. Was it almost like a utopian moment where these vulnerable people were finally getting the help that you'd been calling for for years?
3: Uh, It didn't feel like that at the time because we were very worried about their health, obviously. But um, yes, looking back on it, it was really uh, a period where we could see how we can end homelessness in New South Wales and how the provision of good quality accommodation and support can really make a difference to people's lives.
0: So in New South Wales, were were pretty much all the rough sleepers taken off the streets?
3: Not all the rough sleepers, but a significant number of people sleeping rough were taken off the streets. So I think at the peak of the period, we had around 1,900 people uh, in hotel and motel accommodation uh, who had been sleeping rough.
1: Paul, what about you? You're in Victoria. Was it a similar situation there?
2: It was remarkable when the pandemic um, hit and certainly managing all the consequences of that, um, what kicked in was the hotel accommodation for all homeless people. And uh, it was quite remarkable about how government kicked in and shows what government can do if it really wants to. And um, somewhere between 1,800 and 2,500 were housed or accommodated in a range of hotels across Melbourne.
1: What was the mood like amongst people being given that kind of accommodation for the first time?
2: Just uh, hopeful, I'll take that. I mean, people, given an opportunity, it reinforced and showed us again, given an opportunity, people will take it, homeless people. We sometimes have a, we lack ambition for this group, but uh, this group's got ambition for themselves with the right opportunity.
1: Catherine, how long did it last for, that that kind of accommodation in Sydney? Was it long enough? And we were talking about it being a circuit breaker. Was it actually long enough to be a true circuit breaker?
3: Unfortunately, it wasn't. Uh, In Sydney, because of uh, the management of COVID in New South Wales, um, it was around the end of June that the hotel and motel accommodation stopped being provided for a lengthy period of time. Um, But what happened was uh, people sleeping rough were maintaining that accommodation until housing was found for them. But unfortunately, as Paul's mentioned too, uh, the communication and and work with people sleeping rough at that time was a little bit patchy. So it did mean that some people returned to the street regardless of what was being made available.
0: Okay. So give us the whole picture there as you see it. They were, as you said, um, given about three months of hotel accommodation. What happened next and what proportion of people were able to improve their pre-COVID situation after that temporary moment.
3: Yeah, so what happened next was the New South Wales government announced a program called Together Home, which was providing 400 houses uh, with support for people who'd been sleeping rough who'd been accommodated in the hotel and motel accommodation. Um, and so that was rapidly kind of rolled out uh, from June onwards. So that was a really good thing to see, and it's working really well now. We've got uh, the 400 people have been housed, and it's really good to see the outcomes um, that are being you know, provided through that program. The department also worked really, really hard to identify social housing uh, and long-term housing for other people in the hotel and motel accommodation as well. But as I'm sure you're aware, there is very limited social housing uh, in New South Wales. There's over 50,000 people on the waiting list. So it's, it's a really difficult thing to find appropriate housing when you don't have that supply of social housing.
0: So you said there were 400 new homes created for those people who'd been given that temporary solution. That doesn't sound like anywhere near enough.
3: Yeah, um, we were fortunate in the New South Wales budget in November that that was actually doubled to 800, and so that's happening now. So that's a really good thing that they did recognise the need to double the amount of houses and support being provided. But you're right, um, the street count before the pandemic was 334 people in the city of Sydney sleeping rough. And then in February this year, it was down to 272. But as you've mentioned, that's not really the decrease we wanted to see. We were hoping for far less people to be sleeping rough.
1: So, Paul, in Victoria, how many people are back on the streets there?
2: It's a moving situation. So, what came through um, post the hotel response was um, in the November budget um, of last year. A $5 billion announcement by the state government was announced for, to increase social housing and um, Public housing, and also to address the what happens after the hotels for homeless. You know, where do we go from there? And so, they introduced another name that Cameron and gives, uh, just like Catherine, um, homeless to a home, which was targeted at 1,860 um, homeless people who ended up in the hotel system to actually move them actually into a home. Now, this is a work in progress. The breakdown of numbers is there's been about 200 that have been placed of those 1,800 packages into new homes and ongoing homes from their situation have been on the street into the hotel. There's about 500 still, four to 500 still within that hotel network. And there's about 1,000 that have left that and have moved back into varying uh, temporary uh, accommodation situations to uh, sleeping rough and um, back into homeless sort of shelter. So it's a work in
0: progress. So compared to the optimism you felt in that slightly utopian moment a year ago, Paul, have we come even close to what seemed possible?
2: Well, I think we got closer, Tom. I mean, a $5 billion investment into just social housing into this state, I mean, it would probably take us $10 billion to get out of the whole homeless situation in this state. <laughs> But a $5 billion has been a a big step, and we're hopeful for the New South Wales government to also adopt the same approach. I think, Tom, it's getting close, though. The optimism is realism as well. Well, I'm glad you haven't lost
0: your optimism because it would be a a shame not to, you know, even if we didn't achieve perfection, that we, you know, didn't disregard the good and keep working on Mm. this and take what we could from that moment. Well, these are significant steps that happen and there's been a silver lining,
2: I have to say here in this state, for homeless people as a result of this pandemic.
1: Well, Catherine, you were saying before that in the city of Sydney, those numbers are back at around 80% of what they were before the hotel accommodation was offered. I guess we were talking optimistically, but are you disappointed in that number and are those the same people who are back on the streets again?
3: it's not difficult to end homelessness. It it really is just investment in social housing combined with support. And I think what last year showed us was if we get that investment and we get the political uh, support then we can actually end homelessness so what we're seeing too in New South Wales is in uh, rural and regional areas uh, the rental uh, market is really becoming unaffordable and there's Mm -hmm. very few properties available and so we've got this situation where there is literally no housing for people and people are presenting with quite complex needs as a result of COVID and a whole range of other reasons um, and just in terms of who's on the street in the city of Sydney at the moment, um, yes, it, it, a number of people are sleeping rough, are people who've been sleeping rough for a significant period of time and who didn't actually ever make it into the hotel and motel accommodation. Um, but we're also seeing um, non-citizens, so people who don't have access to income support and who've lost the work that they had during COVID, right. ending up on the street mm. right now. And we're also now seeing, too, the consequences of ending Job Seeker. And uh, again, people not being able to afford where they're living and ending up on the streets.
0: Right. So is it fair to say that some of the people that were put into the hotel accommodation have been moved into um, social housing options, but the numbers look quite bad in that case of the city of Sydney because there's a new cohort who are struggling.
3: Yeah, it's a combination of all of those things. But yes, there's certainly a new cohort of um, New Zealand citizens or people on uh, temporary visas and so mm. on who just don't have access to anything. Um, and so there's been, you know, there were many more uh, during the peak of COVID who were seeking support. But um, it's certainly the case that uh, when they lose that employment, they have nowhere to go, and the, the only place for them, unfortunately, is to uh, sleep on the street.
2: Catherine's right about um, this. It's just not a city phenomenon, but a regional yeah. phenomenon. In a year-on-year survey that we've just completed of looking at around 32,000 available rental properties on a weekend a couple of months ago, and and you measure it against affordable housing, which is usually about 30% of your income goes towards rent. There's been a 50% reduction in that type of uh, available housing within regional Victoria, similar for regional New South Wales Mm -hmm. as well. There was only a 2% uh, availability of rental affordability for anyone on any Commonwealth assist benefits. Prices are going off the dial in relation, housing is just too expensive, one to purchase, but two now, because of that, people on good incomes are now moving as rental as a lifestyle, which squeezes out the bottom end. And the fact is we are not going to, as a country, address the issues of new homelessness coming in, as Catherine's talking about, and the existing numbers of families that we're seeing homeless unless we have a serious injection just like we're witnessing in aged care maybe we need a royal commission to drag the homelessness investment back up to the 2021 i mean it's been the feds have been asleep at the wheel for about 10 years on this 15 years and that's why we've fallen so far behind
0: paul mcdonald there ceo of anglicare victoria pointing out there was no big funding announcement for homeless people in the federal budget this week um I guess the answer to our question, Katrina, about whether we missed the moment is kind of a, a mixed response.
1: Mm, It is because they were talking about some of the accommodation options that have been made available since then, which perhaps wouldn't have been on the table had this whole um, situation never arisen. And interesting too about Paul's call for a Royal Commission into homelessness. I wonder if that'll ever get off the table.
0: Yeah. And in Sydney, those numbers were back to 80% of what they were of rough sleepers like right in the city. But another survey showed that a third of those people put in hotel accommodation had found longer term accommodation. So a third is a lot better than zero.
1: Yeah, it is. And we were talking about the mindset shift and whether it could have provided a circuit breaker. And I just feel for people who were put in like really beautiful accommodation and not given much certainty on how long that would last and then find themselves kind of back at square one again. You've got to hope that um, at least the the cogs are in motion for some longer term, safer housing prospects for them in the future.
3: Yeah,
0: and that interview also highlighted the importance of not just thinking about the the CBDs in our capital cities, but also what's going on in our regions where homelessness is less visible. All right, that's it for the Monday to Friday briefing. Thanks for staying with us through a big budget week. Um, Bit of relief on your weekend. Jamila Rizvi will be here, of course, with the weekend briefing. Jamila, who have you got this week?
2: I am chatting with comedian Tanya Hennessy. And can I tell you, she made me laugh out loud so many times during our conversation. She is, of course, a woman of many talents. She's a podcaster and TV presenter and radio announcer and recently minted children's book author. We talked about what our world considers beautiful. We talked about whether it's the fashion industry or the media industry who get to decide we talked about the joy of making content and making great art. We talked about burnout and how to look after your mental health when you've got a billion projects on and you just don't even have space to breathe. It was a really great conversation. And I think you're really going to enjoy this one.
0: Sounds very deep. Thank you so much, Jamila. Uh, hope you have a great weekend and we'll catch you for Monday's briefing. Listener.